This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Welcome to First Contact, stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. Super excited for today's episode. Uh, today, we've really been joined by a true thought leader, a speaker, tech analyst, content creator, in the world of digital transformation in the workplace. It's a lot to say, a mouthful, but look, I'm not even done yet. Look, he's been cited as several times among the top analysts covering the contact center industry. And look, 2019 named top 30 contact center influencer, 2018 included in the top 10 telecoms influencers and top VoIP bloggers to follow. Over 20 years of experience in contacts, Center Consulting, uh, actually in consulting, my apologies, with experience over 20 years in consulting and has been at the forefront of countless digital shifts within the business world. Has a podcast as well. Watch this space, which is great. If you have any interest, you got to look it up. We're we're exploring technology-driven places, future of work, contact centers, CX, just to name a few, a ton more. However, we can't think of anybody that is more responsible for thought leadership in this space than the person we're gonna introduce next, which is John Arnold, the founder of J. Arnold and Associates. John, welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Wow, thank you, Christian. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the buildup. And uh, you didn't mention I'm a pretty good piano player, but that's for another time. <laughs> hey, look, that's- there's gonna be a spot. I'm gonna be able to get to the right uh, part on here and hopefully we can dive into what, what you do outside of work, but look, We're so excited to have you on. And one of the things we love to do here, especially with the theme of the show, is not everybody crosses paths with the call center space and goes, oh, that's my dream job. I'm going to go and end up working or crossing paths in that space. But you're also in the tech space. So we'd love to know your story. Understand, how did you get into the tech space? And then where did that cross paths with the contact center world? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Christian, because your earlier comment about, you know, 20 years is, is a long time in our lives, but it's a really long time in technology, right? And yes, yeah. um, I can now say, you know, I've lived through and written about and talked about, you know, various technology trends that have come and kind of you see the life cycle of these things. And that's important, and certainly it it will tell you how I got here from there. So I was, uh, as is usually the case, we don't go to school to be working in technology generally, unless you're a programmer. You know, I'm not a techie tech. I'm not a developer or an IT guy, but I um I was a market researcher by trade prior to this space, and uh, that kind of took me into the analyst world quite a long time ago, where um the rise of analyst firms that focused strictly on technology was fairly recent because tech itself is a, you know, is a relatively new industry. And uh, I got into it that way where I wasn't like trained to learn about this stuff, but in tech, like the biggest thing to be successful, doesn't matter what the type of job is, you got to be curious 
and you got to be a fast learner. And that's exactly what happened with me. Um, I, I landed in uh, with a with an analyst firm, and I was told uh, you're going to be covering VoIP now. And my answer to that was, "What's VoIP?" Their yeah. answer to that was, yeah. "You'll find out." And that's all I had to work from. But I'll tell you, Christian, within two and a half years, I became the top guy in the VoIP space. And don't ask me how I did it, but it, that, that's just kind of how it rolled. And I said, you know what? It's You can enter a new space where VoIP, this is around 2000, where VoIP was really just starting to become a thing. And you, um, you can enter a space early without knowing a lot, and it doesn't really matter. Right. You, you, as you learn, you develop that expertise. And so that's kind of how it got started. And it's gone from there. So it used to be, was a time when VoIP was big enough of a story and disruptive enough of a technology that you could cover that topic full time and be plenty busy. But then VoIP, like any other tech matures, right? And things evolve. So. Once VoIP kind of gets seeded in the marketplace, we eventually get to what we call unified communications, right? Which is the idea of bringing all these apps together in one platform, voice, data, video, et cetera. And then along comes the cloud. And so once cloud becomes the home for everything, you're, you have these concentric circles as you're an analyst. You start with VoIP, then there's a circle of UC, which is unified communications. Then the cloud becomes the next big cloud, big piece that you have to kind of chase and follow. And then as cloud becomes the default for almost everything, Christian, contact center starts to fall into this bucket because like VoIP and telephony, which was always premise-based, contact center world has always been premise-based. That's the way technology has always been, hardware, right? Then cloud mm -hmm. comes along in the rise of SaaS, the software as a service model where everything is in the cloud. Nobody owns anything. There's no hardware. Now, contact center is starting to trend in that direction. And before you know it, everyone's talking. The big story you hear from all the vendors now is we have to m marry these two, UC and contact center, right? So we call them CCAS and UCAS in the cloud as a service. So cloud has kind of homogenized almost everything now or everything can be in the cloud. So this world of contact center that you guys know so well at NobleBiz is like, okay, that's been its universe unto itself, really forever. Just like the phone system, the PBX, lived in its own world in the enterprise for a million years and no reason to change it. Um, now that all goes out the window and now everyone's scrambling. And the contact center is a few years behind where the telephony space is in terms of migrating to cloud, right? But now they're going really fast, really hard, and all the contact center vendors, you know, are pushing cloud, summer cloud native, right? That's all they do. And so this space is really moving, you know, fast because they see that this is where the future is. And more importantly, because we're talking about contact center in the world of customer service, this is all about how do we make customers happy? And, you know, consumer consumerization of IT is a trend we all know about. And it really plays big in this world because when we're wearing our consumer hats, especially digital natives, their level of adoption of technology is generally way ahead of what contact centers are used to supporting, right? Customer service, remember, it used to be called a call center because you made a phone call to go to the con, you know, to get customer service. 
Now it's become a multi-channel world where telephony is just one of many channels. So now it's the contact center where you could call, you could text, you could mobile, you could video, right? You could, you could find many ways in to get service. And that's a much harder thing for a contact center to manage. And now it's become, okay, well, not only that, but customer expectations with all our cool technologies and mobile phones, we expect instant service, right? We expect solving problems on the spot. We don't want to wait anymore for anything. You know, you look at your kids. I mean, five seconds is a, is a lifetime for them to wait for something. And the contact center doesn't move that fast, right? When you're picking up the phone and trying to help somebody, uh, well, let's look up your records. Let's see. They don't have the patience. So all of a sudden, the, the ability to provide the service that customers expect now is a big kind of what I call a gap, right? There's, a, there's this like performance gap and expectation but with expectations the contact centers are really struggling to keep up with especially if they're still living with technology that's legacy and premises based which is still very prevalent in the contact center space so that's a good point to stop that's a long ramble but i think you get the idea of how i got here from there no, it's a great journey, and I think that sets up a lot of our discussion uh, in, in a perfect way. But one thing I just want to make a comment on when you, you were mentioning, you know, these digital natives and how quick they want and expect things. And, you know, they're almost unreasonable by technology standards, but it's the expectations. You have to find ways to delight them. And so you go back and you think of, you know, the beginnings of the telephone. You know, we talk about VoIP, but you think of the beginning of the telephone, the idea is like, wait, you can make this thing called a call on this device and I can hear this person across the world or across the country. And you can think of any other technology. Wow, you can see someone on the television and so on and so forth. But now people are just so frustrated that we're not flying cars yet and doing other things, right? That uh, you've seen in TV and movies for a long time. So the dynamic around that shift of the mindset from going surprised and I couldn't believe it. I'm a little scared to adopt it to now going, I'm so frustrated. This isn't already so high tech that it meets my newfound expectations and needs. With with that said, though, let's go back to where you started your business, right? Where you moved and you started creating J. Arnold and Associates. How did that come about? What made you say, I want to do this as the next chapter in my career? Okay. Yeah, sure, Christian. So that, that's more of my, yeah, my own journey, so to speak. So I, um, I, I mentioned I was a market researcher by trade. So I had my own uh, boutique consultancy in, in market research for B2B for a long time. And um, that business kind of plateaued probably in the late 90s. Um, I, I live in Canada and uh, uh, there was a, a, a new regulations came along called a free trade agreement, which is a big thing. And they call it NAFTA for a long time. And the U.S. people are, in the U.S., they're not as interested in stuff like this. But in Canada, this was a very big deal. Um, anyways, free trade pact was a good thing for some industries. It wasn't very good for my market research business because uh, uh, it, it, Canada has always been a bit of a branch plant economy. And so the people I needed to give me business who were based here in Canada all of a sudden had no budget left anymore because everything was centralized out of the U.S. And I couldn't, it was hard to get work. So I, I saw what was coming that way. And I, 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 I gravitated to the tech space because uh, I, it, it, it just, I did a lot of work for some of the telephony companies here in Canada. And that kind of pushed me that way. 
um, an opportunity came up for one of the uh, one of the analyst firms, Frost and Sullivan, who were opening uh, offices in Canada, and they were looking for someone with business experience to help run. And market research primed me for a lot of that. I said, well, analyst work is not that different. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And that was really all I went into it with, Christian. I said, I'm going to move from my own business to work for this company to get into this space. So it worked out as a good idea. But um, like a lot of things, if you've been entrepreneurial most of your life, you, you, you expect different things when you go to work for a company. So anyways, I, I did kind of hit a wall there after a few years. I stayed, I think, four years and uh, it was a great opportunity, learned a lot. And a lot of people I left there when I moved on are still there. Um, it's a company that has bred really good loyalty with its people. So I think I, I bet right on going with them to kind of get my feet into this space. But uh, yeah, 2000, I went on my own. I, I found, I mentioned I was making a good um, <clears throat> mark in the VoIP space, Christian. Mm -hmm. And that was leading to a lot of requests for me to do things that I couldn't really do being strictly an analyst within a company. I was doing things to really help build the brand, but that's really not what they wanted me there for. And so I reached a point, I said, you know what? Um, I, I'm not going to get any further doing what I'm doing here and I'll take a chance. And I went out on my own and that's how J. Arnold and Associates started. So then that was in 2000, sorry, 2005. So yeah, 16, 17 years now. So, um, so far so good, right? It's been keeping, uh, me going. And when you work as an independent, you're, you know, you operate differently than when you work for a company, obviously. So I'm, I get a lot of my business now because I'm entrepreneurial and I take a creative approach to what I do. And for some companies, that's exactly what they need. And you're not going to get that from a, a big name analyst firm, uh, aside from costs being different, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of the big firms are structured to work in certain ways with clients, right? So they're a great fit when you want certain things, but they're not so great fit for other things. So that's where there's opportunity for, you know, niche people like me. And uh, when you start doing this for a while, you find your tribe, right? So there are other independents like me, and we're all kind of similar mindset, age, backgrounds, very, you know, that kind of thing. And the reason I say that, Christian, and we may talk about this a little bit later, but um, as an analyst, we, we, our stock and trade is, you know, staying current with all the companies out there. And the way we do that is we do, do a lot of briefings with the vendors. And if we're, the analysts covering the same stuff, we're all talking to the same companies fairly regularly. And they do a lot of uh, analyst events. Lately, it's been virtual, but earlier it's been more in person. So we find we end up, we kind of travel in packs, right? So, you know, well, Cisco has an event. Oh, well, I'll see you at Cisco. Next month, it might be Ring Central. We'll see you at Ring Central. Next month, it might be Nice in Contact. We'll see you. So there's kind of a, a camaraderie there amongst independents that we kind of, we're following the same spaces and we kind of look at the same things, but we're all different. We all have different, there's no school you go to to be an analyst, right? You, you know, <clears throat> some people are very technical. I'm very business and strategy minded. That's just my forte. And so you stick to what you're good at. And uh, I wouldn't be around this long if I wasn't finding, you know, ways to help companies, right? So running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. 
Nobel Biz would like to salute the Contact Center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. Perfect. Well, great, John. One of the things I think you just had a perfect segue into is for those of my audience that really don't understand what an analyst does, right, and why is it important, can you just give, I think you touched on it just a bit, but if you could just give a little bit of an overview of that, I think it'd be great. Sure, sure. So one of the, um, you know, we live in a very kind of very, you know, in, always on, uh, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, social media, everything happens really fast. And um, there's a lot of emphasis on news and information that flows quickly. An analyst is different. The main thing that people get confused with, especially especially in the PR world, analysts and media. So there's journalists, there's tech bloggers, right? So the big difference between us is that the way I just look at it is, um, the simplest way to look at it is to think about this is, journalists, generally speaking, like when you read news stories in the press, right? They're written by journalists, right? They describe. Analysts describe, but they also explain. So like we try to make more sense of things and try to, you know, really connect dots rather than just say, here's the news, here are the facts. That's that's the starting point. But what we do is we step back as we see the broader industry. We try to make sense. Okay, well, here's why these trends are happening now and why they're important. So this idea of the why rather than the what. So we kind of because we try to understand the bigger picture. Now, there are technical analysts who only want to get under the hood and really do feature by feature comparison. That's not my world. Um, it's much more about the, you know, what does this mean for the business? That, that kind of thing. So journalists can do a very good job with that as well, but they are generally writing as a byline for a publisher. Whereas analysts, we are, especially independents, our brand is our thought leadership, right? Because that's why people come to us to say, well, you're objective, you're independent. What do you think? Now, if anyone wants to explore this further or if I've still got you confused, because I know this is a common question, Christian, I have a thing on my, a spot on my website, on my homepage, where I actually was interviewed at a conference about this. What does an analyst do? And I post that video there where I talk through the things that a, an analyst does. And I also have for fun a, a video of someone explaining on uh, about a, a technical thing that is just so impossible to understand. That's what you don't want an analyst to do. You want an analyst to clarify, simplify, make it relevant, right? 
And that's that's good. I mean, we at heart we have to be good communicators, right? You've got to be a good writer. You got to be a good speaker. You got to be able to break things down, and and kind of you know connect dots because otherwise you can just go on and on and on talking about features and stuff like that. But that gets kind of confusing after a while. So yeah, no, it makes sense. And look, John, I call that the so what. Let's get to the so what. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? For yeah. Why? Right. And, and that's, that's how I oversimplify things. Is so what? <laughs> what is the point now? Um, how do we get there? Uh, with that said, you had mentioned being virtual for certain things. Now, recently, more being in person than you talked about talking to vendors and events. And so recently, I think you were at Enterprise Connect and Channel Partners. Um, what did you get from now being in person again at, at, at these events? Anything different that you've seen? And then what are you what was hot? What was trending that you felt either excited about or things that uh, were continuing from when things kind of went on pause for mm-hmm. being in person? Yeah. Well, the first thing is what I didn't get and I did not get COVID. So I, I'll come away with that as, as kind of like the good news. Um, and that's not just because I'm going to a live events, but traveling, I got to tell you guys, when you're traveling across any cross border activity is has a few extra layers. So Traveling out and to Canada is, is a lot of hassles, a lot more steps involved. So, um, but you just take that on. It just comes with the territory. So Enterprise Connect has long been what I call the Super Bowl event in the enterprise comms space, which does include contact center, by the way. Um, that is kind of the, that's kind of like the touchstone event, especially for the big vendors, especially for those who want to make a lot of uh, impression impact on the market. So the big vendors will often time their big uh, launches and announcements, acquisitions for that event, because that's where the industry is gathered and everyone wants to own the spotlight, right? So the last two Enterprise Connects had to go virtual. So 2019 was the last time I went in person. Then there was this two-year gap where you had they had to do virtual so going back last March, well, this March was the first time in like three years. So it was what I call like almost like going to a family reunion. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the content was secondary, but for a lot of people, this was the first big event they'd been to, not just by choice, but also because a lot of the big companies weren't allowing people to travel, which is the big one that killed a lot of these events for being live because once the tier one vendors pull out the, as exhibitors and sending hundreds of people, the, the event is no longer viable economically. So they have to, you know, pull the plug. But anyway, so it's almost like that, the, 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 the joy of being in person again, almost the content almost was secondary. It's kind of like, oh, good that I'm here, but yeah, it's just good to see you and oh, let's catch up and all this. So the content of the event is always good. Now this, if you'd never been to Enterprise Connect, you would have thought, oh, wow, this is a big show. And it is a big show, but normally it's quite a bit bigger. Yeah. And I think one of the big takeaways, Christian, is anyone who came, you know, it's kind of like putting your foot back in the water. You say, oh, it's okay, which means it was a good experience. So next time you should fully expect it to be back to where it's always been. Um, there's a lot of pent up demand. People want to get out. They want to see people. And Anyone who's running a trade show, you know, they need buyers and sellers. They need a marketplace to go. So there's real motivation to be there. In terms of the content of the show, the big, the big kind of story there was hybrid work, um, mainly because the concept never existed before. So for 
uh, as a first time back to the event, that's what people want to talk about because that's what everyone's struggling to do since the last in-person Enterprise Connect. So there were a lot of messages from the vendors there about how they're making it work, the challenges, the realities, that kind of thing. So I, I think the event delivered pretty well on that front. Um, another surprise, if you want to call it that, is um, Polly was one of the more visible vendors at the event. And they were very well behaved because at the time they knew they were getting acquired by HP. And HP could have chosen to make the news public at the event and that would have captured all the attention on them. But for, for whatever reason, and maybe they had to, they didn't say anything till like the day after. And then the, the news broke. So, you know, the timing is everything with these kind of things. But that was a surprise too to say, oh, well, Polly sure seemed very busy and high profile at the event. And, but little did we know, well, if they're not around, not should say not around because they are very much around, but they're going to be changing hands. So that was, that was important to see. Now switching gears and I'll, I'll pause in a second here, Christian. Yeah. The channel partners event, which was a couple of weeks after in Las Vegas, I'll, I'll, I'll stop before talking about that, but just for transparency for the audience to understand. The parent company is Informa Events, and they are they put on both of these properties. So uh, Informa has a lot at stake here in the show business. It's, you know, when you're going back to in-person, I mean, that's where the money's made. So um, yeah. this was a very important kind of time of year for them to see, can we still do these big events? Yeah, no, totally makes sense. And, um, you know, we can shift uh, if, uh, if uh, you want to cover something related to channel partners. Otherwise, I definitely want to get to some other stuff as well. So I'll leave it to you to let me know if there's something that really stood out for you for channel partners. Well, I think the main one there is, and I've written about this, um, first of all, because they had actually done in person last year. They've already been back to the live event thing. But even that, even waiting to the next one, this was like the biggest one ever. I mean, they, they had like as robust an event as they've ever had again showing you not just the pent-up demand to get back to live events but the, the channel space is thriving so for listeners out there especially at contact center world it's like okay you know um there's a lot of there's a lot of knowledge there's a lot of learning that these channels need to do and this is where you go to get a lot of that but also it's important to understand that the takeaway from that event is the private equity community has gotten religion about the channel sector as a hot play. So there's a lot of M&A, a lot of consolidation going on in the space right now. And I think, you know, what that's translating to is more, more of these independent channel operators and VARs and, you know, agents, whatever, that is going to winnow out a little bit. And we're going to have bigger, maybe deeper pockets running a lot of the sales channels come in the future. And that's going to maybe make the space a little less entrepreneurial than it's always been. That's my concern as a solo operator, but also that, you know, the space is going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be run more like a business than it's always been. But, you know, I'm just saying scale when you consolidate, there's more demands on, you know, sales, revenues, reducing churn, getting margins up. And so that's going to put a lot of squeeze on these players to be really, really competitive. And that might make it a little harder for new introductions of technologies to come to market because they don't want to take risks now. They're, now they're being 
running quarter to quarter or even more than they've ever before. So that's kind of a bit of a caution that I take away from that to say, you know, it's almost like one of those be careful what you wish for things. So, but, you know, once they, they sniff it out and say, okay, we're just, you know, it's everyone has a selling price, right? So, you know, they, you know, like, like, well, look what Musk just paid to buy Twitter. I mean, you know, whatever you want, you know, I'll double it and uh, you're not going to say no. And I think that you're going to see some of that happen in this space for, for better or worse. But again, back to the way we started, Christian, tech, you've been in this space long enough. You see these technology curves come and go. This is just another example of market reaches a certain point of maturity. Change happens. Consolidation comes, shakes out. There are fewer, smaller guys. There's going to be less choice out there for the buyers, more, you know, that kind of thing. So I expect we're going to see some some more of that happening so with that though let's talk a little bit about a future of work you've mentioned this concept of work itself becoming very fluid can you kind of elaborate and give some better uh detail to our audience on that topic yeah yeah and this applies equally well by the way to work what we think of as being in the office right in an enterprise in a business setting but it applies equally well to agents and supervisors in the contact center they're employees too their work is being impacted in exactly the same way an office worker would be or a frontline worker at a hotel or a restaurant, right? Or, you know, or a healthcare worker in a hospital. Everyone has, you know, a job to do and they need to be able to communicate. They need to have tools to share information. And, you know, that's what UCAS is all about, UC. But the idea of it being fluid, you know, comes back to what I said earlier with cloud is, is it kind of like, it makes everything is possible in the cloud now. And that's also translating into, you know, a, a shift in the balance of power in the relationship between workers and, and, and management. And we're seeing this with the rise of the gig economy, right? And now the pandemic has just amplified this with all the work from home that we've kind of been forced to do. The, um, relationship between employer and employee has really changed a lot, especially in traditional settings where you're used to working in an office. Well, now that people have gotten a taste of working from home, as we know, and they've been able to work from home because that's not a new thing anymore. People are starting to make those choices. You hear this term, great resignation, which is a whole other topic. But, you know, it's also kind of given workers a sense of agency now that they said, oh, I don't have to be in the office. I could work from anywhere. Of course, now people are leaving cities to go to small towns and, you know, hinterlands so they could just work from anywhere. Pretty attractive concept. Um, but it, that's where the fluidness comes in is now, you know, employees are no longer beholden to the employer like they used to be. And this is creating some very, you know, I, I call them existential issues for both sides. Like, Employers invest a lot in having office spaces. And if you're going to be downtown, that's expensive real estate to have. Yep. And if you're an employee, you say, well, I'm the one doing all the commuting. You know, I'm the one working, you know, almost 24-7 here. I don't have any family life. And you start to both sides of these, you know, decisions to make about well, what do I really want? So that's the fluidness that you, it's it, it's kind of like a bipartisan thing now where employees and employers both kind of have sets of needs that they have to somehow be balanced. And that's why we have this hybrid work thing happening because it's allowing kind of each to kind of, you know, have 
you know, the best of both worlds, so to speak. And technology is right in the middle of this because you can't do any of these things without good tools. Like I was describing with UCAS and, you know, like Zoom, listen, right place, right time, right? The, the pandemic was the best thing that could have ever happened to that company. Now, of course, they've saturated the market. Where they go from here is another conversation. But, you know, it's given rise to a tool that without it, we really couldn't have had a good work from home experience. Right. So now, again, all these cloud based tools are accessible to anybody. It's like, oh, well, why do I need to come to an office now? I can do this from home and, you know, drop my kids off to school and take them to soccer and, you know, do all these things. And my life, my work life balance is all of a sudden pretty good. So, John, when it comes to the contact center, right, let's look at that hybrid or even work from home environment shift that everything went home. I didn't have a choice for those that could um, meet the obligations for security and try to perform in some way. What are the tools that you're seeing the most in the contact center space being adopted to be able to help them still provide great experiences, but maybe not at the rate they would have had the pandemic not happened? Well, I think a big one, and we're going to get to AI because that is part of the story here, but uh, the, the the key here is to that to whether you have agents in a physical you know contact center environment or at home um, that doesn't matter to the customer right so you've got to make sure that that the agent has consistent set of tools and capabilities wherever they are so that means if the contact center now has to support a pool of agents working, disparately, right? Because now we're all atomized. You know, the agents are all in different places. You know, a lot of variability there in terms of their equipment, like they're, they're, like we're doing now, right? With, with their headsets, with their microphones, with their broadband, all of that stuff. They don't have a desk phone, um, but you go on a soft phones now anyways. But, you know, there's great variability there that has to kind of be smoothed out somehow, right? And so this is why... Tools like UCAS are really gaining traction because when you're using one common platform that's in the cloud, that means you don't have to, you know, roll out, you know, phone lines to people's homes. You can do it over the internet. Okay, now we can have that consistent set of tools, consistent experience, um, all from, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. That opens up a lot of possibilities actually for them to say, oh, now I can have agents anywhere. This is actually a good thing because now I can broaden my labor pool and have more geographic diversity uh, to serve customers. So in terms of what they're doing to support this, you know, UCAS is a good starting point because now you've got a similar set of tools that perform, fair, you know, pretty universally. And if we talked earlier about it, because customer expectations are so high now, they want it now kind of thing. Well, for agents, they can perform well in a home-based setting because they know with UCAS, they can get these back-channel conversations going on the fly because the whole idea is to be able to provide that resolution on the first you know, interaction. So with the idea here is that you know, when agents don't have all the answers at their fingertips, you know, CRM might have it, they might not. They might need to draw from other people in the organization Right. UCAS provides that back channel and with AI, some intelligence to kind of quickly find the right people, either 
you know, the, what they call SMEs, subject matter experts across the organization, bring them in to resolve the issue right away. That's a big value add. Or, we, you know, you start getting to things about like intelligent routing, right? Where you say, well, I don't have the specialization or the authorization to address this, but I'm going to hand you off to this other agent right now and do it in a seamless way. That's harder to do than it looks. And, you know, a big challenge, of course, is that a lot of contact centers are still driven by, you know, premise-based legacy technologies, which don't have these capabilities. So this rush to cloud that I talked about earlier is pretty accentuated in this space because there's this performance gap I talked about that they've got to somehow address. So the quicker they can bring cloud capabilities in, the better they can support them. Um, it's also an important factor too, Christian, because agents are employees too, right? So mm-hmm. they, you know, we know turnover has always been high in this space. So recruiting costs are high, training costs are high. So there's a lot of variables there. This is why the cloud contact center space is so hot right now, because there are all of these fundamental challenges that kind of all like, it's like unintended consequences. When one thing happens, all these other things happen around it. And you say, oh boy, yeah, well, great resignation. People are quitting these jobs because they're not great jobs. They're not great jobs, not because this, the jobs suck, but it's because the technology kind of gets in the way of allowing them to do a good job. So people, agents can hit a wall very quickly, right? And then they say, well, I don't have the tools to do this. Why? I can't. This is a crappy job. So I'm going to do something else. And then, you know, that's where all of the the CCAS, the shift from UCAS to CCAS really resonates because now you say, oh, no, 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 we'll give, now you can have the right tools to do this. And now, oh, then I can deliver a really good experience. Then it's a different story, right? So there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And you mentioned, you touched on security earlier, Christian. Yeah, that, that's a big one too, because when you're working from home and home might be in a coffee shop for all you know, because these agents aren't necessarily going to be on camera. They rarely are actually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've got to know, oh, am I using a hotspot for this, you know, public Wi-Fi? Um, you know, even within the home, if they don't have a good security regime in place, that's pretty risky. So you have to anticipate that. So when you roll out work from home with agents, you got to make sure that, you know, those conversations stay secure. And obviously, you know, compliance issues or, you know, things like PCI, right? Any financial information you're taking, customer information, it's got to stay secure. So that's that's like a given that that's got to be there. And we haven't even touched on stuff like fraud, you know, impersonating and phishing and all that stuff, which can ruin everything for everybody in a hurry. Yeah. And I think one of the common themes across a lot of the conversations I'm having, and it aligns well with what you're talking about, is um, you have to make it easy for people to do good work, right? The harder it is, the more you put in their way, the more mistakes that'll happen, the more friction it'll cause with the uh, customer. And it's just going to unfortunately impact other things, right? Lifetime value, whether or not they'll want to continue to do business with you and uh, say good things or tell everyone and their friends that they'll never do business with you again. With that said, though, when we look at the dynamic of work from home, I mean, you think of an office environment where maybe people have two screens, maybe they have good solid internet. Maybe they have a conducive work environment where uh, they have that camaraderie, they have that uh, shift of having in-person contact with people, sense of community, whatever it may be. Uh, Don't get me wrong, there's absolute benefits to being remote, but 
Maybe someone doesn't have multiple screens. High turnover, what are you going to do? You're going to invest in sending a bunch of secondary screens to everybody in the first week and then hope they, you know, they stay in the job or they keep the screen or you don't get it back or it's broken. So there, there's just a, a logistics piece around it and a human piece that if the agents aren't happy, it's going to be really hard to have happy customers. And, and, and that, that, that line of where technology, where training, where onboarding, uh, where continuous training, where reinforcement of community and culture, um, you have to over communicate now, both in leveraging all these technologies we're talking about to do that communication. Uh, otherwise, it becomes very challenging. Any thoughts on that? Well, for sure. And, you know, what I was hoping we could get to is, yeah, this idea that, okay, work from home has its appeal for sure. But on the other hand, not everybody is cut out to work in isolation and sooner or later takes a toll on everybody. And so there, that means there is extra effort needed from the organization to do things to make agents feel included, part of a team. There's got to be ways to do social things. Um, that creates some culture and bonding. And then, yeah, you talk about, boy, what about the supervisors? You know, how do they um, help when they can't just pop their head in over a cubicle and look or other agents to provide a little moral support? Yeah, you can do it virtually, but it's it's just not the same. So you have to, as you say, you have to over-communicate and say, how do we, you know, make sure? Because if these, if new hires do not take quickly, they probably aren't going to stay. So you've got to make that kind of good first impression and show that, you know, you understand the challenges and you also know, you know, you, you just stick with us. We will, we'll give you the tools and we will deliver. And when they see that, yeah, there's a good chance that they're going to, going to stay, but there's, um, you're right. I mean, you, 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 it's not just a technology thing, right? Where you say, okay, ah, oh, you need a new computer. Sure. We'll give you all the right things there. But no, it's just like, uh, how do you ensure that there's more to it, right? It's not just a technology thing. You've got to, it's got to be a culture there that values employees just as, as people. Because otherwise, you know, you don't need agents at all. Just do everything on self-service. And that's, that's a whole other direction of going where, you know, AI and improving on a IVR experience, that kind of thing. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% .9 uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Yeah, well, I think when we get to some topic around that, we can definitely dive into that balance between where does technology enable the agent to do more high level things versus when do you not need the agent? But let's kind of, before we jump to that, let's just tackle the term 
digital transformation for just a quick minute, right? There's a lot of interpretation of what does that mean, especially in the contact center space. But from your perspective, what is digital transformation and how is that impacting, if anything, the contact center space? Well, sure. So it's, it's one of these, what I call meta trends, you know, the cloud is like this, you know, it, it's, this is why, you know, like the difference between, I hate to say it, but a pandemic and an endemic, mm-hmm. right? A pandemic is everybody's affected by this and digital transformation is the same thing. And it's not, and it's not a thing, right? It, it, it's a process and it's something that probably never ends because we, we, you know, for for anyways, pre-digital people, pre-internet people, and that's a lot of us out there, when the world was only analog, you know, the, we didn't think too much about these things. But now everything is transitioning from analog to digital. Some things are already there, but some things are not. When it's when everything is all digital, people like me won't have jobs anymore because we don't need for it. We'll all be in nirvana, if you want to call it that. But, you know, digital means the... Once everything becomes goes from analog to digital, that's where you want things to be because it's all binary, right? Ones and zeros. When everything is digitized, it speaks a common language. Now you can do more with everything that you, you got and you can capture it in a way you can use it. So, for example, in the contact center, call recording, right? I mean, with legacy analog technology, you could you could record and in many sectors you have to record every call, but in reality for call quality purposes and compliance, supervisors can only they might two percent, three percent of calls they'll actually listen to for to you know check those boxes. That's an impossible task to really do a good job. Once everything is digitized, AI tools can come in and monitor every single call. So you're Coverage goes from like 3% to 100%. That's a huge plus for the contact center, right? So the digital transformation has a lot of benefits because once everything's in a digital format, you can do a lot more with it and get a lot more out of it, right? So in other words, like the content of our conversation here is um, valuable, right? Because we're, we're just talking. But if you layer AI into this and you because it's it's digital. We're recording this on the internet now, so it's all digital. AI can layer intelligence on top of that because now it can search for words. It can connect ideas together that, you know, patterns, right, that you, we couldn't do as humans. And it will do it more accurately than we could do with our fingers and typing. And then so you can glean more knowledge and more insights out of that data. And that's important because decision-making in all organizations, including contact center, are increasingly becoming data-driven. People make more decisions now with numbers than they do with their instincts and their intuition, for better or worse. As a creative person, I'm not a fan of that, but that's just how it's going. So it's like your decisions are only as good as the data you have. Well, where's your data? Well, it's all going to come from digital sources. Analog information has almost zero value in that in that sphere because you can't bring it into the fishbowl, right? It's, it sits outside and until somebody transcribes it and puts it in, you know, it's not going to be there. So as we process things into digital, yes, we get more insights out of it, but it also makes things go a lot faster. And so when you talk digital transformation in a contact center, that means 
what, what's driving customer service now is digital channels. So people are communicating a lot more on social media, for example, or SMS. Mm-hmm. All of these are digital channels we didn't have, you know, 10 years ago as a matter of course. So when all your communication is coming through those channels now, it's happening faster and they need results quickly, all this stuff. Contact centers aren't equipped to handle that. So one of the biggest challenges in contact centers, how do we support digital channels? Because if that's where the customer is at and we can't be there with them, we're in trouble. So digital transformation is happening in contact center faster than it's able to adapt to until it gets on the cloud kind of migration path. Yeah. And so let's kind of shift a little bit. We've talked a little bit about the pandemic, but one of the things that we saw with the pandemic is it broke the norm of adoption of solutions that you either weren't ready for, you hadn't thought about, or you needed to do the right due diligence on. And what we're seeing with a lot of technologies is this shift to operation folks being able to not only look and procure the solutions, but not having to rely as heavily on IT or telecom resources to implement them. Um, and and to continue to run the business without having to go back and asking them. And where do you see that shift? Do you see it going forward in a way where uh, IT resources will have a different uh, job in the contact center or they'll work in different areas or maybe even work for the vendors? Because I keep seeing this shift. What are you seeing on your side in that dynamic if it's shifting to the operations side versus the IT heavy side? Yeah, there is that. And, you know, so we, we're, you know, familiar with that term of uh, shadow IT, right? Where people just have run out of patience. You know, IT is neither willing nor able to give people the tools they want and comes back to cloud again. When I can get Dropbox, right? When I can get mobile, call, uh, sorry, you know, uh, video calling off the cloud, why do I have to go to IT to have it provisioned and blah, blah, blah and work into my budget? So they work to that's the workaround and contact center is really no different. And so the thing with the cloud is that it makes everything so kind of user centric, user driven. And, you know, it's, it's not as hard anymore when, when everything is integrated seamlessly. Of course, that's the challenge with this stuff. Con- contact center operations are complex by nature. And that's largely because the vendors have always wanted it that way to keep the business. But the reality is today, so many of these other pieces can come from cloud and be self-provisioned. Yeah, there's less need for um, IT to do the things they've normally done. But I think what what the the, the challenge for IT now is going to be, you know, they're going to be more the traditional roles that they've had are eroding or going away altogether. So they they've got to be better at at you know identifying where managed forms of IT like uh, security or data center, you know, these kind of pieces that they might have managed in the past. Mm-hmm. But because it, it's also, to be fair, um, the complexity of doing a lot of this cloud is beyond what a lot of IT resource, you know, resources can support. And there is, I, you know, I hate to say it, but there is a generational issue there too, where some of this cloud stuff may not be that native or comfortable for you know, a more traditional mindset that's running IT and they may be fighting it just because it's out of their comfort zone and that's not serving the business well. And again, if there's pushback like that and you've got a real hotshot 20 something operational guy in a contact center say, no, no, the, we, we, we can get these platforms right now. You're getting in the way. They're going to, they're just going to go because uh, they can. 
And so that's that's really interesting. Now, it's a great opportunity for channels, of course, to kind of help bridge that gap. But yeah, there's some real fundamental challenges facing IT the way it's normally done because they've always kind of held all the levers, right? You know, they've always just said, well, we'll introduce this when it comes. And, you know, I, I come back quickly for a moment about UC, for example. When you roll out a phone system like IT has always done over the decades, they just deploy it and it's done. Their job is finished. Yep. But for UCAS or CCAS, the success of those deployments is based on user adoption. When you roll out a PBX, there was no choice. That's your phone. You use it. No training required. But you can, these new platforms, if you don't bring them to the users and make it easy, like you said, easy for them to adopt, those deployments are going to fail. And so that's a, so IT didn't sign up for this, right? Their job is going to be the teachers and the supporters and the help desk for all this stuff they really probably don't want to do, but they're going to have to, or partner with vendors who are really good at supporting these things. Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole other episode on adoption, optimization, continuous improvement uh, that happens when you have products that are always evolving and stuff like that. But one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, talking about evolution, uh, that, that piqued my interest was when you said that there's this consolidations, a lot of M&As and all this uh, maybe potentially blocking of innovation. I also see that on the tech side where a lot of companies are acquiring companies or they're merging their CCAS and UCAS into one system and they're buying a lot of smaller companies. Where in your opinion does a smaller company that wants to be able to make a positive impact through innovation uh, find its way when the sea is now being consumed by a lot of the whales? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And um, I, th I think a good starting point is that even though cloud makes it easy to scale, I think you have to kind of pick your niche where you can, you know, where you can sur survive and grow enough so you don't get eaten up too soon. And so in other words, don't aim for like, the Fortune 100 companies, we're going to solve all their problems because you, you, you'll never get that too far there. So I'd say, you know, focus on a customer set that is more, you know, in your in your zone that you can, you know, uh, sell to and defend. So um, that that's one as a business strategy. But also, too, I mean, a lot of these smaller companies, they do optimize themselves to, to align with a particular vendor, right? So I want to be in the Avaya ecosystem or the Cisco or Microsoft or whatever. And so if that's the plan, um, then you really have to know what you're up against with competitors who are trying to do the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with that strategy. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, for example, you know, um, uh, I use a noise suppression application called CRISP. And CRISP uh, is, is the partner that Microsoft uses for their collaboration. Um, uh, Babel Labs is another one, and Cisco acquired them a couple of years ago. And they got a niche technology that really has a lot of value. And nothing wrong. That's where we want the innovation to keep coming, right? But then you got to say, okay, do I want to place all my bets on one ecosystem and say that's where I'm going to be? Okay, nothing wrong with that strategy, right? Um, and the other thing too, I suppose, is, is to, you know, maybe try to pick a difficult problem set that no one else is going after. Like, um, I keep mentioning AI. I mean, it, that opens up so many new spaces that are just, you know, no one owns them yet. 
a lot of the value isn't even understood, right? So if you can be ahead of the curve, and that's where a lot of these AI companies are, are, that's why they're getting so much funding right now is because they are so far ahead of the curve, they've anticipated what some of these opportunities are going to be, you know? But uh, anything that you can fix that's broken, right? How do you build a better IVR, right? You know, that's going to get attention because you're hitting on pain points that everyone is trying to solve. Yeah, and I think uh, as we get to the end of our time today, when you finish off on AI, I think that's the new frontier because I think we're not good at it yet. I think it's still the shiny object where some people have figured out how to make it useful. Other people have put it in play and it's actually caused more friction with the customer experience because they maybe thought it could just replace a rip and replace of something. And as we get closer to figuring out where does AI live in a self-service world versus where does it live in empowering the agent and the business into insights and helping in real time versus just after the interaction, uh, it's an exciting thing to see. So any closing or final thoughts around AI that you think would be good for audience to know? Well, I'm, I'm with you, Christian. Yeah, it's a shiny ball. And the, the danger there is, yes, there's a lot of hype. Um, a lot of capability too, though, but you have to, for a buyer out there, the thing to be aware of is, you know, not everything is AI, even though the vendors say it's AI for starters, but you don't have enough background to really know that, but it gives vendors license to charge a premium. They could just call it AI and it's 20% more expensive because it's AI, but AI itself is not a thing, right? AI is just a term for a an umbrella of technologies that basically try to emulate human capabilities through technology. And the thing that the hot term in AI right now for the contact center space in particular is, this is the acronym of the day folks. So it's CAI, conversational AI. So the starting point we've seen with a lot of this automation is with the chatbots, as again, improving self-service. Well, most of those interactions have been really poor because AI, because the chatbots aren't well trained. The AI was early stage. So what's different today is that the, the voice recognition capabilities, this is an area where I do a lot of work, has gotten so good now that not only can these chatbots recognize speech, but they've done enough, they've built enough through this, through the use of machine learning and natural language processing and understanding that they can be conversational. So in other words, instead of being command-based, yes, no, it's like dealing with Siri, right? You know, Siri, start my car or Alexa, you know, turn on the oven. That's great. Those are command-based, not interactive. We're moving to a world of what I call shifting from person to person to person to machine or machine to person communication. Well, when you can have conversations, when that chatbot asks you questions and engages with you, it's asking you questions because it knows you'll give answers that provide more insights than a closed-ended question. And because it has the tools to analyze that and make sense of it and actually make you feel comfortable because it they even try to inject humor and human utterances like, ah, uh, oh, I see, try to make it feel like you're talking to a person. The more comfortable you feel talking to a bot like that, the more you're going to share. And that's the whole name of the game with, with this. So when it goes to that level and gets better and better, it's going to play a bigger role in ha- handling more complex customer inquiries. That's a goldmine for contact centers because you want to take all that stuff away from the agents, let them do the really difficult jobs where they have the most 
reward when they solve those hard problems, right? Yeah. So and this I mean, is a big one. Yeah. And AI also has a home there as well, as you had mentioned, but the extension to that is then how does AI help those more complex interactions with a human being be that much more effective? And, and I think we could have a whole nother conversation with that. But look, we're, we run out of time today. And I know that there's so much more that everyone that has wanted to learn more about you would want to know more about. So before we get into how they contact you, you had mentioned you played the piano. What's your favorite piece? Favorite piece? Well, I'm into jazz and blues, so I, I, I improvise a lot. So I, I like to play anything that's, that's blues based. But we I do play in a band with other consultants. So a good example of a song I really have fun playing would be, I don't know, uh, these are songs most people would know, like uh, uh, After Midnight is a great song, fun song to play. Uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine is a fun song to play. There's lots of those kind of standards that we, you know, we like to play in our band that are just a lot of fun. Uh, Feeling All Right, Dave Mason song. Those are all fun songs to play. And uh, I like anything bluesy is, is my, that's my bag, so. Awesome. Well, John, it was great having you. I think our audience got a lot of great content, but there's going to be people that want to contact you. How best do they get a hold of you? Sure. Well, old school, you can pick up the phone, but I, I think where we really want people going is sure. Uh, website is always the starting point. So that would be www.jarnoldassociates.com. And if you get to my website, Check out the video where I explain what an analyst does and then watch the video that's next to that one. And if that doesn't make you laugh, then nothing will. So I try to bring humor into a lot of this stuff. And you can see there my website. Yes, the podcast you mentioned earlier. I have a monthly podcast and a monthly newsletter and both are easily found and subscribed to there on my website. Awesome. All right. That wraps another show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. John, thanks so much for joining. Okay, Christian. Thanks. Great great being here. And thanks everyone for listening. Awesome. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the Contact Center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montez, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.